Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray, and I'm here with my fabulous co-host, Ellen McGirt. Oh, I love that so very, very much, Alan. Thank you. Hello, and hello, everyone. Now, Alan, I'm going to confess something that's going to surprise none of our listeners, you specifically, but when it comes to autonomous vehicles, I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be fully honest with you. I'm not even great as a passenger in a car where there's a human behind the wheel. So I'm not sure that the AV future is immediately in my future. What do you think? Oh, I don't know. I think it's getting there. I have written in an autonomous vehicle, by the way. I, I did in uh, China under very controlled circumstances. So I don't know if it's really a good test. But, you know, we've been talking about this topic for a long time. I, I think yeah. autonomous vehicles are a great example of the technology always underwhelms in the short term and overwhelms in the long term. And I think this is an example. We thought we were going to be living in a world of autonomous vehicles before now. We're not. But I don't think that means they're not coming. And our guest today, the CEO of Cruise, uh, his company has laid out plans to have a million autonomous vehicles on the road by 2030. Well, you're absolutely right. But CEO Dan Ammon says he's not planning to sell those to you and me, which is probably good for me in the short term. He's building AVs designed for ride sharing. So in a few years time, instead of calling Uber or Lyft, you'll have the option to call a cruise autonomous ride. Now, of course, as you mentioned, the AV technology is just getting better and better. But my impression is that there's another important factor that's put Cruise on the path to scaling up so rapidly. And the General Motors acquired Cruise back in 2016. I got to believe that GM's resources are a big help there. Yeah, so we're going to talk about all of that. I have to say, as a journalist, I kind of like talking to the Uber drivers. I'm going to miss my Uber driver, but we'll figure out how to deal with that. Uh, anyway, fascinating topic. Great guest. We're glad to have him. Dan, welcome to Leadership Next. Oh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So I feel like we've been on the cusp of the launch of uh, autonomous vehicles for years now. I know at one point you guys were saying 2019. It didn't really happen in 2019. What's been the holdup? You know, when you step back from it all, what we're trying to do is to build better transportation than what people have today. And by better, I mean transportation that's safer, that's a better user experience, and that's more affordable than what's available today. And the, the biggest challenge that we've been working on from an engineering point of view is obviously to make sure that we're building transportation that's safer than what's happening uh, on our roads today. And that has turned out to really be you know, the engineering challenge of our generation, potentially, you know, an enormous undertaking. But that's been our North Star, you know, making sure that this technology is safe and is making a positive net impact uh, on road safety. And that's the point that we believe that we're at now. Uh, we began fully driverless testing on the streets of San Francisco about a year ago. And we're now very close to uh, being in a position where uh, we'll be able to offer our first rides to uh, passengers here in the relatively near future. So that's incredibly exciting and uh, a big milestone and you know, sort of the beginning of the next phase of uh, what we're all doing here. 
Before we dig into the details, and by the way, by details, I recommend everybody who's listening, when you're done, head over to YouTube and watch Dan's really incredible presentation at uh, GM Investor Day. It was just a couple of weeks ago. If you want to get a sense of what the car sees as it goes through San Francisco, it was really an eye-opening presentation. But before we get into those details about how you're going to make this all work and what phase you're in in development, could you talk a little bit about the bigger purpose behind what you're doing? Because you you have been very consistent since the beginning that this is part of something that you think is going to change the world and save the planet. Can you talk a little, to us a little bit about that vision? Yeah, sure. I think if you, um, you know, as I said, this is all about building transportation that's better than you know, what the world has today. And, you know, that takes multiple forms. You know, in the United States every year, about 40,000 people, you know, lose their lives in traffic accidents. Uh, the number globally is about 1.2 million, you know, believe it or not. And so the single most important thing we can do with self-driving technology is start to make an impact uh, on that. And it's not just, you know, the, the fatalities, but all of the injuries and everything else that results from what happens on the roads today. And about 95% of all of those accidents and, and injuries are a result of human error. And so, you know, our belief is that we can start to bend the curve on that and make a positive impact and, you know, that's very much been our North Star from the beginning. But it goes much further than that as well. If you think about the amount of time that people spend you know, behind the wheel of their car uh, every day and the ability to give people back that time. If you think about the physical impact on our cities, you know, sort of a, a fun fact, you know, in the United States, there are between somewhere between, no one really knows, but somewhere between one and two billion parking spaces in the United States for about 280 million cars. And then of those 280 million cars, you know, 95% of the time they spend sitting parked, not getting used. And so when you think about the, the inherent inefficiency of all of that and the impact that it has on our cities, and think about how we could release that real estate, that valuable real estate, and sort of hand it back to the humans for the humans to use, that's a huge impact. When you think about people's access to transportation and transportation being you know, out of reach financially for a lot of people and being able to offer dramatically lower cost transportation. Uh, and then when you think about the impact on the planet, and we all know the impact that you know, burning fossil fuels has had on the climate. And you know, obviously we've been all electric from the very beginning at Cruise and we think all AVs should be EVs. And so when you sort of step back from it all and think about the, the profound positive impact, whether it's everything from road safety to the environment to the physical landscape of our cities to people's accessibility to transportation uh, and the affordability of that, you know, it, it's, I think it's fairly easy to underestimate, you know, the long-term, you know, hugely positive impact uh, that we believe that self-driving technology and self-driving cars, you know, responsibly and safely deployed, you will have on just how we live our lives every day. Well, let's dig down on that a little bit because you really have three different revolutions and you're rolling them all into one. And I'd like to understand the logic for that. I mean, you've been a pioneer in the autonomous driving revolution. At the same time, we have the electric vehicle revolution that's going on. And Mary Barra has said that GM is only going to produce electric vehicles by 2035. And then at the same time, you have this ride sharing revolution, which Uber and Lyft pioneered. Your strategy is to mush all those three of those into one. Why do they go together? Well, I think they're, they're all transformative uh, in and of themselves, but I think you really unleash the potential when you bring all of that together. And so the, the benefit of the self-driving technology, the autonomy piece, just in the sort of narrow version of it, is obviously the benefit from a safety point of view. 
and also the ability to offer you know, much lower cost transportation. When you combine that with electrification, you accelerate the rate at which uh, electric miles traveled can happen because you know, one of our cars will drive you know, 100,000 miles a year compared to a regular gas-powered car that an individual owns driving 10,000 miles a year. And so if we have a car that's working around the clock, providing transportation 24-7, we're going to have far fewer cars on the road, but still delivering the same you know, total miles traveled to folks and doing that cleanly and efficiently at very low cost. And then the third dimension, you know, the shared mobility piece of the transportation as a service is sort of a, the business model that unlocks this. But one of the things we've also had a very clear view on is that we need to create you know, a much more attractive experience for people to encourage them to share rides and to have shared transportation. And one of the things that we've done in partnership with General Motors is to build the cruise origin that's designed for shared rides and shared mobility, um, but it's designed to make shared rides an awesome experience. And that's you know, part of unlocking or reducing the amount of congestion on our roadways as well. You mentioned GM, you've also had a recent funding round, a pretty big one. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship with GM and some of the other investors and, and how that's going to help you go into your rapid scaling phase? Yeah, sure. So the partnership uh, between Cruise and GM is now coming up on uh, six years uh, that we've been working together. And it's just one of the massive competitive advantages that we have at Cruise. You know, having the ability to to not only build the technology and reach the point where you know we're uh, contributing positively to, to road safety and solving this huge uh, engineering challenge, but all of that doesn't matter if we can't actually deploy and deploy safely and deploy uh, in large volume. And having the ability to not just tap into the scale and know-how uh, of General Motors in doing that, but to actually go deeper than that and to build a purpose-built vehicle like the Origin, which it was a multi-year effort, billion plus dollars of investment, uh, is something you can only do if you have a really, really uh, deep partnership. So it's really, a, a, you know, I can't overstate the importance of that uh, relationship and, and partnership with GM. But you said recently that uh, Cruise will have revenues of, uh, I, I think the number you used was $50 billion in a few years, and you have no revenue now, I assume. So you go from zero to $50 billion in a few years, you will dwarf GM. GM will become a subsidiary of Cruise if, if it happens that way. I, I mean, is that really what we're going to be looking at here? Well, I think GM has revenue today of about $150 billion. So we still have some work to do to, uh, <laughs> to, to close that gap. But growth matters. Growth matters. Growth matters. And, and you, know, you heard the plan you know, Mary and the GM team laid out at the Invest today is to, to double their revenues again from here and to have a, uh, an incredibly high growth rate. And, and so I think this is all about you know, maximizing the potential uh, on all fronts. In San Francisco, when will I actually be able to pull out my credit card and take a ride in a cruise uh, shared vehicle that I pay for? You wouldn't need to pull out your credit card. You'll just need to pull out your phone and open the cruise app, which, <laughs> in which you will have already entered your, your credit card your credit card. You details. know how to do it. You know how to do it. You know how to do it. He was being theatrical. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm such a dinosaur. <laughs> I can tell you, we, we, we won't be taking cash. <laughs> well, yeah, what if I want to tip the driver? Come on. How does this work? <laughs> you can do that through the app. <laughs> when will that service be up and running in San Francisco? Well, stay tuned. Uh, we've uh, just recently received our second to last permit that we need to be able to offer paid rides in California and San Francisco. And uh, we we have uh, one more to come. Uh, so uh, hopefully that's not wow. too far away at all.
I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, who is CEO of Deloitte US and had the good sense to sponsor this podcast. Joe, thanks for being with us and thanks for your support. Thanks, Alan. Pleasure to be here. So, Joe, one of the surprises we saw in 2020 in the midst of a lot of bad news was some good news, an acceleration in the adoption of digital technology. Do you think that's going to continue? I do, Alan. And I would say that the cause for optimism is warranted. There are going to be some pretty significant dividends that come from the massive acceleration in all things digital. We're going to see significant benefits to the economy from the big digital transformation investments the companies are making. I think we're going to see big benefits to people in terms of quality of life as we see new models for working that allow greater flexibility, productivity. So people were forced to innovate in 2020 because an extreme change of circumstances was forced upon them. Can they keep up that pace of innovation? Well, that's the challenge for all of us as leaders. I saw a great quote in one of your interviews, Alan, that in this period of time, change was free because the alternative to change was even worse. We all have to look back on the way in which we moved so quickly, we broke some glass, we didn't let corporate bureaucracy get in the way, and it actually benefited all of us significantly and leveraged that mindset going forward to act more quickly, to be less inhibited by risk, and to see the true benefit of embedding digital transformation and an agile mindset within the way that our organizations operate on a go-forward basis. Joe, thank you. Alan, pleasure to be here. You talked about a million vehicles on the road by the end of the decade. Is that the kind of time frame we're looking at? Yeah, so we see um, you know over the next couple of years uh, scaling up in San Francisco and in, also in Phoenix, where we also have operations uh, today. And so you know the next year or two will be all about you know scaling those up to real city scale. Uh, offerings. And then the cruise origin begins production, uh, volume production at the beginning of 2023. So that's just a bit over a year away. Uh, and that's the beginning of what we refer to internally as our sort of the next phase of development, which is our rapid scaling phase. So we we talk about what we're doing today is kind of early commercialization and getting the, those initial products out there. And then the origin becomes the key that really unlocks the ability to efficiently and quickly scale from there. And again, that's where the production relationship uh, or the overall relationship with GM and GM's ability to produce those origins for us on large scale is so important. I want to ask a couple of um, nervous person questions. That's my role on this podcast, Alan, as Alan knows. I want to ask about passenger and pedestrian safety. I know you think about this a lot. And when I think about the world and I walk through the world as a brown-skinned woman, you know, I'm thinking about and I, I hail a ride, I'm thinking about safety from a driver. I'm thinking about safety without the driver. I'm also thinking about there's cars driving around that can see my skin or my black trench coat and all those kinds of things. How did you begin to think about this, knowing some of the risks that were already in the marketplace? How did you plan for that? Sure. Well, I think there's there's a couple of different aspects to that. There's the technology piece, and then there's the, the product and the user experience piece. And on the technology side, as we were discussing briefly earlier, from the beginning, we have focused on doing the vast majority of our development work uh, in the city of San Francisco. And that's been a very deliberate choice because it's a very complex driving environment. We see all kinds of crazy things uh, every day. <laughs> our hypothesis you know, from the outset was that if we 
expose our technology to the most challenging scenarios, and we do that with a very high degree of frequency, we will have the best chance of improving our technology uh, at the fastest possible rate. And that has been the, the essentially the bet that we made early on. And believe me, there were a couple of points along the way where we questioned ourselves whether that was really the, the right move, um, but we stuck to our position and we're now very glad that we did because you know what we've seen over the last couple of years in particular is an extremely rapid uh, improvement in performance. And you know it, it won't surprise you that one of the things we're most focused on is safety of you know what we call vulnerable road users, pedestrians, cyclists, people on scooters, and and so on. And you know that's something that we have you know, become very very good at given you know the testing that we've been doing in San Francisco. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. <laughs> well, but that, that's no, that's that's very much the the idea. Because if we, you know, the, the the alternative would have been to say, let's go somewhere much simpler. We would have gotten to the point of fully driverless, you know, driving sooner in a simple environment. But I think we would have had a lot of challenges in taking that and then moving it into a more complex environment. And so we sort of took the longer term view, if you like, of building something that you're taking on the more challenging sort of version of the problem, uh, building a more scalable version of the technology, you know, given the ultimate goal is to deploy this at scale in order to realize all the benefits that we were talking about, uh, it's better to have built something that's inherently scalable from the outset. Well, I, I mean, the other big flashing light for me is the drivers. What happens to all the drivers? I mean, I'm here in New York City, was trying to get a taxi cab this morning. Talk about an anachronism. The yellow cabs are down dramatically from before the pandemic. So I ended up going with a, an Uber driver. But the point is, once you get this right, we don't need taxi drivers or Uber drivers. And what happens to those people? Well, I think the uh, the thing to keep in mind is if you look back over history, we've had you know, technology you know, result in changes in jobs and in the workforce you know, multiple times through history. This will likely be another example of that. But the industry that we're that will be beginning to change is so enormous. Transportation is so enormous that you know this is something that will take literally decades to to ultimately unfold. And we believe that there'll be ample time uh, and opportunity for you know, an orderly transition. As part of that, at the same time, we'll be creating a lot of new jobs at Cruise. We're beginning you know, to scale up for commercial operation and so on. And then I think if you sort of zoom further back out and you look at the positive impact on the economy and on everybody in it of having you know, cheaper, more uh, safe, more affordable, more accessible transportation, that can be a huge enabler for job creation uh, in and of itself. Yeah. And, and Dan and Ellen, let me just follow up on this, because, Dan, I believe 100 percent everything you just said. I do believe this new industry will create jobs. I do believe that the net positives are huge, but it's still disruptive. You got a lot of people out there who make a living driving taxis and driving Ubers. And do you feel any responsibility as a company to figure out a way to help those people make the transition? Yeah, the short answer is yes. And we're very attuned and very aware of the impact that uh, that we'll have both on the positive side and then also in, in helping uh, manage through that. And so as of right now, at this moment in history, there is also a huge shortage of drivers and a huge shortage, whether it's in, in the trucking sector or Uber and Lyft, or, you know, can't get enough drivers uh, right now. So certainly at this moment in time, we think we're helping unlock opportunity 
Uh, and there'll be you know, plenty of opportunity for everybody involved here. Thank you for raising that, Alan. We do talk to a lot of CEOs who talk about reskilling. You know, it's the same the same people, the same essential workers who were so impacted by COVID and, and had been ignored by the economy and by employers for so long are now the target of a lot of interesting programs to reskill them. Since we're on that subject of seeing the people whose jobs will be replaced, I wanted to circle back a little bit to my AI question. I don't really mean it in a in a tongue in cheek way. I do worry that AI can't see black and brown people. You know, I do worry that there's sensors out there that don't see certain kinds of skin. And I, we talk a lot about the bias that's been baked into the data sets that are now being used and deployed in bigger ways. How have you um, put safeguards in place for that as you've moved forward? Because I know you talk a lot about the cutting edge AI that is being deployed in in your work. So I know you've thought about it. The core of all, all of our development work is testing in the real world uh, and exposure testing. And you know, that is all about operating in the most challenging and complex and diverse, in the broader sense of the word, uh, environments. And we you know, analyze very closely all of the feedback that we get from our on-road testing. We understand, you know, as you'd expect in you know, a huge level of detail, any incident or potential incident or near miss or anything like that to understand, you know, what were the contributing factors to that and how do we iterate and improve on uh, on that in, you know, the, in the next you know, software release that we do or the next change that we make um, to the system overall. And, and as you saw in the, the video I showed a couple of weeks ago, we're managing through some extraordinarily complex scenes as well as, you know, safely navigating, you know, nominal scenes all the time. Dan, who's your most dangerous competitor here? Is it Waymo? Is it Uber and Lyft? Is it Tesla? I mean, how do you think about that when you're going after such a big prize? Um, you know, what we really think about most is building the best possible product that we can. One of the things that we've invested in heavily at Cruise is in our belief that the, you know, the most important thing we can do is improve our product and improve our technology at the fastest possible rate. And that's been important to get us you know, to this point where we're ready to begin commercial deployment, but that's just the beginning, it's not the end. And our goal is to continue to improve the product experience, reduce cost so we can take price down, uh, you know, far out into the future. And so we're obviously aware of competition that's out there. There are a lot of brilliant people at a lot of companies uh, working on solving this problem. And we spend a little bit of time thinking about that, but we spend much more of our time focused on uh, on our product and uh, our technology and making that the best possible uh, thing we can make it. Well, it turns out the Biden administration has a new senior advisor, um, a Duke professor who studies autonomous systems, who will likely be focused on all of you. Um, how do you plan to manage your relationship with uh, regulatory risks? Um, so, you know, as you would imagine, we are closely engaged with all of our regulators at the local level, at the state level. Uh, at the federal level, you know, we uh, believe in being very transparent about the approach that we're taking uh, and have an open dialogue uh, with regulators at every level on what we're doing. And I think, you know, it's really important to emphasize here that I personally believe that one of the things that will unlock and enable uh, the scaling of self-driving, perhaps more than anything else, is if we can build you know, a level of trust and transparency in how we're approaching this. And, you know, this is not the place to move fast and break things. Uh, no. Right, right. The Facebook model doesn't work. Don't give us a minimum viable product. Please, <laughs> please don't do it. The best way we can do that is to be 
open about how we're uh, approaching things, not just with regulators, but uh, externally. Dan, before we let you go, give us a little bit of your story. I mean, you're in this incredible position where you really do have an opportunity to change the world in some very dramatic and positive ways. How did you get there? Where did you come from? Um, so I was born and raised on a dairy farm in New Zealand. <laughs> well, there, that's the secret to success. <laughs> that's the secret to everything. That's where I want to end up. That's where I want to go. <laughs> Well, as I said, I grew up down there. I went to school down there. I moved to uh, to New York City in uh, 1997, took a job on Wall Street uh, and worked on Wall Street for about uh, a dozen years through the global financial crisis. And what I tended to focus on, I've always been, let me sort of jump to the answer here. I've, I've always been drawn to big, challenging, multidimensional problems and especially to things that people generally think are impossible to do. And so the, the more difficult or unlikely uh, it is the more I've sort of been drawn to it. And I think that's what took me from down under to New York and what took me from Wall Street to, to GM previously and then from, from GM to Cruise. And, you know, if in that framework, this is, uh, I mean, exactly, you know, my, my dream job. Uh, yeah, Dan, you are on top of the world. We're going to be watching you for the next decade or more. Thanks so much for taking the time to be with us on Leadership Next. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 